What's up, all you monsters out there? Here we are, right in the depths of the Halloween season. And I've got Jeremiah Jones Goldstein back here with me. He and I are going to cover the next two single issues, issues four and five, from this series, Doorway to Nightmare. And then we're also going to cover the one-shot that came out just a couple years later, in 1981, which is really fantastic as well. So stay tuned after a clip here. We're going to jump right into it. Well, did he give you a lot of money? Who? The elderly man I told you about. He was old enough, but just slipped up on the money. Try it again, why don't you? Put your wish in them. Money? Maybe a honeymoon. Uh, what are you doing that for? Again. Something black. Something on its way to you. Go on. Let me see it. Don't look at that. Let me see it. Death card. Maybe not. Cards mean different things at different times. Walk a little way with me, huh? Well, see you tomorrow. Tomorrow. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. And I'm going to be talking some more Doorway to Nightmare. And that means I am uh, joined by my buddy, Jeremiah. How are you, man? I'm well, Billy. Very, very glad to be here again to talk about these issues. Yeah, we're going to, you know, complete the uh, the early part, part here for Doorway to Nightmare with, uh, you know, our coverage of uh, the uh, the title and uh, Madame Xanadu with uh, issues four and five. And then the, uh, the one shot that came out just a couple years later uh, after this series. 
I think it was maybe about three years later. So uh, we're going to cover those three issues here uh, in this uh, recording. So we're really looking forward to this. The first three were a lot of fun, and I think these three are as well. What do you think? Yes. Yeah. They're another couple of fun comics. Um, nice art, great covers. Yeah. <clears throat> Ready to go. Yeah. So why don't we start out here with number four? Uh, and this is a cover date of July, August, 1978. And again, like we've said before, all these covers are by Mike Kaluta and they're all really awesome. And this is uh, no exception. This one is uh, really, really cool with uh, Madame Xanadu here on the front and this crazy demonic clawed, uh, six clawed or fingered hand here right yeah this this is another great cover um more great colors madame xanadu looks fantastic her hair really um shines in the picture but i mean the star of the cover is that that six-fingered claw that's coming you know from underneath um and it's green on top of the red background with and it's got long nails really awesome Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's good. again, it's got like a purple background, and then the, uh, the 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 cityscape here around her. You know, she's the focal point in the middle of the, the uh, cover, but the, the cityscape around her, you know, to the left and right, is like a, a reddish orangish color, and then the where the hands coming out of it, it gets more and more red. So you know, this thing's coming from you know the depths of hell or something here. But it, yeah, they chose to make that crazy clawed hand uh, green. Which is nice. I like it. It really sets off the cover. If they would have made it any other color, I don't think it would have been as cool. Yeah, no, the colors really work. You know, is from the the red, the way the red and orange flows down into the really deep red, and then, like I said, that green just pops right off that red background. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So, all right, well, let's get into this here. So, this, uh, like we said, is uh, six claws of the dragon, and this is. Uh, Story and script by Stuart Hopin and Catherine Barrett Andrews, two people I have never heard of before. Uh, those names absolutely ring no bell with me, so I'm not sure if they were just uh, popping in here because uh, DC liked them, or maybe they were novelists that you know, you know, kind of applied for the job. I'm not sure about those two names. You don't recognize them, do you? I do not. No, they're not familiar at all. Yeah, nothing, nothing for me there. So, uh, but then pencils and inks by Johnny Craig, which is a old school EC artist who, uh, you know, one of my favorites. I, I love uh, Johnny Craig. Uh, Graham Ingalls is my ultimate favorite uh, EC guy, but Johnny Craig was pretty good back there in the fifties, and uh, he was the pencil and inker on this one as well. And then colors by Adrian Roy, and letters by John Workman. So, all right, well, I'll just uh, rattle off a little synopsis quick here, and then we'll jump right into the first page. So, a man is cut down in Chinatown. And the perpetrator seems to be a samurai mummy. It's up to Lieutenant Abrams to find the killer. But can he figure out what Madame Xanadu is all about? And also the strange woman with these hypnotic powers. Or will love be the death of him? <laughs> so, all right. This was, a, this was a pretty interesting issue here. So this one kind of starts out. I really do love this, uh, this splash page on this one because it... It to me it looks very very different from everything that came uh, before with this one. Like there's a crazy action right out of the gate here, where a lot of the other ones kind of started off with more just you know people partying in Greenwich Village or walking into Madame Xanadu's shop. Where this one starts out with some crazy uh, murder right here. Yeah, th th this is definitely different from the the issues that came before, and that we're getting a a major action sequence here with this ominous mummy monster type guy striking down this small small man in a green suit so we're right right off the bat it's 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 a little different 
Um, but you still got the doorway to Nightmare logo up there, and the <clears throat> it it's it's definitely mood setting, um, just like the rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, Adrian Roy with the colors here. It's like a you know a night sky that's you know blues and blacks, and then you have this sword swinging through this guy like almost cutting him in half here. Yeah, really, really good stuff. And I like how this was kind of a curveball, like we just said, you know, all the other issues kind of started out with, you know, monologues and, you know, just talking and Madame Xanadu's shop, which, you know, we get there soon enough, but this one started out differently. And I like on the second page too, how, uh, you know, it does mention that there's a, uh, a piece of jade. It looks like a giant diamond, but they say it's a piece of jade that this uh, warrior picks up here and we see his foot there. It's all wrapped up like a mummy too. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's it's a nice intro to the to this monster, um, an intro to the story. He's he's holding that glowing gem, um, which is pretty cool. But and you know, he, one of the things that uh, crossed my mind is he's almost uh, I don't want to say the silver samurai, but the way his face is hidden in the dark of the mm. helmet, and you just have his glowing eyes. Um, it made me think of like a black knight or the silver samurai. Um, something like that. It's, it is pretty cool. Yeah, and then we <laughs> go to the Metropolitan Museum, and we have a guy flipping out, and he's like, this is horrible, Lieutenant Abrams. The mummies of Princess Morea and her crypt guardian were our main attraction. Now some fiend has stolen them, and the cop is <laughs> on the ground, and he goes, calm down. I've just been dragged out of bed. <laughs> so I like how he's like, all right, dude, not stop yelling. I was just asleep five minutes ago. This is great, but yeah, they find a scroll there, and it has a picture of this uh, Princess Morea on it. And, um, you know, he basically says about the other mummy, and, you know, you kind of get where this is going already here. I mean, you know, it doesn't give away the whole plot or anything, but you do kind of, uh, you know, you can see where this is going here, that obviously there's, you know, some kind of a ancient, you know, mummy-type story happening here. And like I said, we've already seen the mummy, and now they talked about it. So, yeah, this is, this is pretty good here. And then it's funny how uh, Abrams, of course, you know, these— uh, sometimes it's on purpose and sometimes it's just happenstance how these people uh, wander into Madame Xanadu's shop, right? Yeah. I, I just want to go back to while he's in the museum. when he, That line where he says, calm down. I've just been dragged out of bed. When I was reading this the first time, that just cracked me up. Because it, it, it seems like <laughs> such a, uh, like a, like, I don't want to say a lazy cop, but just like a, an oddball thing for a police officer at a crime scene to say, calm down. <laughs> I've just been dragged out of bed. Like this crime is putting him out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's losing sleep over this, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Hey, the, the museum curator here, all of his sentences do end with an exclamation point. So I assume he's screaming. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then you're right. You know, we, we get a little exposition, which is nice. And then, yeah, he wanders over, you know, as he's out and about um, to Madame Xanadu's shop, and we get the the usual mysterious introduction to her in this. Mm-hmm. And that panel on uh, page three there, wow. Uh, <laughs> again, she's uh, looking pretty sexy here. She's got uh, not very much in the manner of clothes on here, but <laughs> it's nothing like too over the top, but I just feel like uh, as the issues went by, each artist was trying to make her look even sexier than the previous one. <laughs> yeah, and I had the same thought. She... Each introduction, she seems to have slightly less um, clothing covering her her body. Mm-hmm. And as the issues have progressed, it 
it's not, you know, it, like you said, it's not overdone, but it, it definitely, it seems like there's a little bit of uh, one up midship each time. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's trying to, to push the, push the lot push the uh, line a little bit further there, you know, push the envelope a little bit further, but yeah, like I said, not in bad taste or anything, but yeah, he right away gets his badge out and he's like, you know, I have some questions for you. And she's like, all right, sit down and I'll tell you all about the lamp. And, uh, the cards will provide the other answers. And <laughs> she goes in and tells them uh, what the lamp is all about here. You know, she said about this Princess uh, Morea, and it was discovered 20 years ago in the Chinese province of Manchuria. And she says about a man who, uh, you know, had found it. And then when you get to page, uh, I think it's four there, you see this mummy, uh, this hand, and it's uh, completely intact, but it's not wrapped. So I don't know how that worked, but okay. Um, you think it would be a little bit like... <laughs> You know, not looking so great if it was in there for thousands of years, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit in <laughs> with the art in this one because it does look like, you know, human hand from somebody who died last Tuesday, not an ancient princess. Mm-hmm. And it shows, like I said, this mummy holding this uh, piece of jade, and it says that they couldn't pry it loose from the dead princess's hands, but then uh, the bizarre hand had to be severed. Fresh bloodstains were the only evidence of the deed. And we see, you know, from the second and the first and second panel, then to the third panel, how this hand looks like it, you know, had been cut off, but then like stitched back on. And uh, to this day, no one knows how, why or how the hand and Jade were back in place at dawn. So, it, you know, they're basically giving the impression that somebody came in, chopped the hand off and tried to steal that Jade. But, you know, they weren't seen from again. And the hand was right back in its place. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it, so we're getting the, uh, the full-on mummy's curse here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like, yeah, like you said, full-on, like, you know, a uh, uh, universal film here. That's what we're getting. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And he uh, then, uh, Abrams, he gets a, a call on his little walkie-talkie here, and he's like, there's a murder in Chinatown. And he says, then call homicide. I'm with burglary. <laughs> and they say, it could be tied to the museum theft. The dead man discovered Princess Morea's tomb. So obviously that's something he would be interested in, but I, I love how they're trying to make him like this, you know, uh, Starsky and Hutch kind of tough guy cop is great. Yeah. Yeah. Call homicide. I'm with burglary. Mm -hmm. Stop bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says about this crazy lamp and uh, he's like, you know, basically like, I'm going to take it with me. And she's like, the lamp was given to me by a friend. I wish for your own sake that you wouldn't take it. And he says, I don't have time to decide whether or not I trust you, but I'll keep in touch. And, uh, she then flips over one of her tarot cards and it says death. It's the death card. So uh, it's like, uh oh, death for who? But he does show up at this murder scene and this old man's laying there dead. And of course, it's the uh, old man that we saw get cut down on the very first splash page. And then there's a older, I wouldn't say, yeah, like an older woman there. She's graying a bit. And uh, there's a, a younger woman that's, you know, crying. And uh, the cop shows up and he says, where the devil is homicide squad? The coroner, the and this woman says, I sent them away. The Chinese mourn in silence. The girl is the dead man's daughter, and I am Lady Anne Karras, his oldest friend. And he says, you sent them away? How could you? Or how could? And before you can say you, you see her using some kind of like a mental suggestion on him here, which I thought was pretty neat. Yeah, it, it is a neat effect um, <clears throat> for the story. It's not overblown, but we get these, you know, green wavy lines over the over the image and he's he puts his hand to his forehead um so she's definitely using some mind control for sure 
Yeah, and she basically tells him to hit the road. And then this girl that says her name is Su Li uh, Hao, she's like, are you all right? And he's like, yes, I mean, no, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so he wanders off then, and the other two head in the other direction and leave. But then Abrams, you know, he's, you know, trying to figure out back at the, uh, I, I'm assuming this is back to police headquarters, and he opens the box where he had that, uh, the lamp that he had uh, taken from Madame Xanadu, and he opens the box, and it's gone. And he's like, blast, the lamp gone. What kind of trick did that fortune teller pull? <laughs> so he's blaming her right away. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. And then uh, back at Greenwich Village, uh, we see that uh, that woman, Karis is her name. She shows up at Madame Xanadu's shop and says, this is rightfully mine. I was with James Lee Howe when he entered Princess Maria's tomb. Even so, I'm willing to pay you. Madame Xanadu says, rightfully, the lamp belongs only to the dead. And she says, look deep into my eyes, woman. You will understand. And she tries to put the whammy on Madame Xanadu, and that doesn't go over so well. <laughs> yeah, we, we get the green, the wavy green lines again. But this time, Madame Xanadu, her, her mental acuity, or whatever you might call it, is uh, too much for uh, Miss Charlotte, or whatever her name is. Yeah, she has no effect on her. She just says, you will find that I am not easily swayed. The lamp will remain here. And, of course, she goes stomping out then, and uh, Abrams was in the doorway watching this, and he says, No, it won't, Madam Xanadu. I admire you and won't press charges if you promise no more tricks. And she said, But I did nothing. Perhaps you were careless when you packaged a lamp. <laughs> and, of course, at this point, he doesn't know. But uh, he then uh, goes to Chinatown to visit uh, uh, the, the, the dead man's daughter there, that uh, Su Li Hao. And uh, right away, he's got the hots for. So he's like, uh, this isn't really like, you know, procedure, but I'd like to ask you some questions. And how about we do it over dinner? <laughs> yeah. And then we get the the love interest part of the story. Um, mm -hmm. They go out to dinner. He says, gee, I don't even know if I have any more questions for you as they're eating. And then they're <laughs> walking by the river or whatever. And it's, you know, nice. And they, they end up kissing. And, um, it, you know, it's it's a nice progression for the story. Mm -hmm. And then I love how as they're kissing, she has like a bracelet on and it kind of slides down her arm a little bit. And he turns and looks and goes, your wrist. And she goes, don't worry, it's only a birthmark. And it resembles the uh, mark on the wrist of the uh, mummy that we saw in the story that was holding that piece of jade. So right away, you know, you put those two things together. You're like, uh oh, wait a minute. Is she uh, is she a dead mummy here? Like, what's going on here? You don't know what's going on. But <laughs> that last panel on page seven. When I first flipped to this page and then my eyes went down to there, I thought, what is he doing? Like one minute ago, he was kissing this girl. And the next minute, he's like laying on the ground. It looked like to my eye that he was laying on the ground. And I'm like, oh, no, he's like he pulled up in his Porsche and he's doing like the old, you know, Dukes of Hazard here and jumping out over the door here. <laughs> yeah, they, it, it's an odd transition. And you're right. When I first turned to this panel, because I was reading them. I read this on the app. So you go panel by panel and you, you can't see ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you go from them kissing to the scar, which is the, the, you know, the nice transition, like it brings her into the mystery as well. She's just not some random woman at this point. And then the next panel, bam, he's jumping out of the car and it, it really doesn't make sense how he's doing that, that mm -hmm. his feet are on the other side from the, where the gas pedals were. So it, it's, it, it was all very jarring the first time I read it. 
<laughs> yeah, I just I don't know if that was such a great choice there artistically, but anyway, yeah, he jumps yep. out and says, "Madam Sanadu," and she says, "You have been with Su Li Hao, and have you seen the birthmark?" And he says, "I'll confess, it's got me worried." So then the two of them, they open up the door here, and I'm not sure where they're supposed to be at at this point. I'm thinking, is this supposed to be his house? Let me see the caption before. Oh, an apartment he calls home. So why is Madame Xanadu outside his apartment? That was kind of weird, too. I was like, that's a weird transition. Yeah, it is. And then, but yeah, they went Now that we're oh, here, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the, action really, the action really kicks off. He gets clocked when he gets into his apartment. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I mean, it looks like it, it, it's a, I shouldn't say it's confusing, but you really have to watch the details here. It says whack, but it almost looks like the, he's getting stabbed. But that's actually just like the, the handle and the hilt of the sword there. And he's getting like kind of you know, hit upside the head with this giant mummy's fist. And then this mummy here and we get a really good shot of the mummy's face here, too. It's like all like zombie eyed and zombie eyes and creepy looking. It's, it kind of looks gross. And it uh, it goes after Madame Xanadu, which is a really interesting part here, too. Right. Yep. Yeah. And it he, it is it is a. uh striking shot of the guy of the monster's face i mean it is gross looking but you mm -hmm. know it's the same guy you, we saw earlier his face was hidden and then yeah he hits madame xanadu and she just goes flying which i don't know it, <clears throat> that surprised me that she didn't defend herself yeah i was thinking she's just gonna like you know levitate or disappear or something like that but it does look like you know this crazy mummy does make contact and knock her out through this window and it says scratch and of course uh, abrams is laying there half out of it but he uh he then i guess you know i don't know if it's it just few a few seconds later or what he goes running to the window and looks out and says no no and you see there are people gathered around so i'm thinking to myself okay but then the the he goes running downstairs and says get away from her let me through i'm a policeman because these onlookers are kind of surrounding the body but then when you look out, it's the mummy laying there. And I was like, wait a minute, what happened here? Yeah, the mummy's laying there. Something happened between Madame Xanadu getting knocked out the window. She must have done something. We don't know what. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it is a bit of a surprise for sure. Yeah, the caption box reads, perhaps he'd only imagined that it was alive. Yet what kind of thief would steal a mummy and then abandon it on a midtown sidewalk? And then, again, we just snap right back to Madame Xanadu's shop. And he's like, you're the only one I trust who seems to know anything about this case. And she's, and he goes, what really happened last night? And he, she says, whatever you think happened did. And she's holding one of her jars there. And we can't see what's in that jar. So I don't know if it's you know, supposed to be something to do with one of her previous encounters or this one or what. But <laughs> he, like, smashes his fist on the table and says, bunk. If that were the case, you'd be dead. Are you going to give me some answers or do I have to get a subpoena? And she says, I cannot solve your mystery for you, Lieutenant. I can only advise. And he's like, all right, go ahead and advise. I'm listening. Yes, his fists up in the air. And she says, I need time. Meanwhile, you must stay away from Su Li Hao and you must return the lamp to me. And he goes, you're crazy. You've no business uh, meddling in my love life. And that lamp will stay at the station. Take your cards and your worthless advice, and and he slams the door and says, "Go to the devil." <laughs> yeah, it it it's all a bit of an overreaction, um, but it is it is nice, you know, 
cryptic advice coming from Mad and Xanadu. She's not, you know, interfering. She's not using like magical powers or anything like that. Just her own mystical occult stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it he he's a little bit melodramatic, but it for mm-hmm. the scene it works pretty well. Yeah, and then she's thinking to herself at the window while he's walking away. He will be back, but will he return in time? And then, you know, he's just like, screw it. I'm going to get on with, you know, my love life. The hell with the case, I guess. And <laughs> he goes to visit, the, you know, the, the exact person Madame Xanadu told him to not go see. And uh, he goes to see Sue. And everything seems to be going fine. And she's looking at a picture of her father. And then all of a sudden, she smashes it. And, like, her dialogue gets this, like, crazy uh, shape around it as if, you know, her voice has gotten, like, really, like, crazy and wild. And she says, he was the man who despoiled my grave. And Abrams is like, Sue, what happened? You you suddenly, and she said, did I faint? I don't remember. Why is this broken? So it's almost like, you know, she's got multiple personality disorder here or something, right? Yeah, because in the, so in the, in the first panel, she's, she's sweet looking. She's gazing at this picture. She mm-hmm. flips out. Her face becomes really intense, and like you said, the 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 dialogue is different. And then right back, she's right back to normal. Um, so there's definitely, you know, is she possessed? Is it a multiple personality? What's going on? We don't know at this point. Um, but Abrams comforts her, and then what? They end up going to a disco here, or something, <laughs> right, to take her mind off it. Yeah, he's like, you know. We should be somewhere less depressing because I guess, you know, they're at her father's house packing up his stuff because he passed away. So, yep. So they go to a club. They go to a crazy nightclub here. And she's like, oh, Nick, when I'm with you, I'm so happy. I feel I could live forever. And, (laughs) yeah, they go to this crazy nightclub. And then they're outside and he gets a phone call again on this crazy radio. And it's somebody saying, we've been trying to reach you for hours, Abrams. Uh, That Chinese lamp is gone from the station house, stolen from under our noses. And he says, don't bother me. That's not my problem right now. And he chucks the radio on the ground and starts making out with Sue. <laughs> yep. What a great part. Yes. Yeah, I was like, look at this nut. Don't don't bother me. But it, So now we don't know if he's, is he just rebelling or is he under some kind of influence that we're unaware of because he's spending time with this woman. It's all, it's all a nice mystery building um, so far. Yeah, and it's funny then, too, because, you know, we go back to, I guess, you know, he kind of said goodnight, and Sue's up in her uh, apartment on, like, a second floor looking down at him, and she's, like, kind of waving to him, and she's looking pretty sexy, too. She's giving Madame Xanadu a run for her money here with this uh, dress on with these, like, real skinny straps, and it almost looks like she's about to have a little wardrobe malfunction there on the right-hand side. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, she just kind of starts staring off and has her hand... And then her face in that last panel gets like all evil looking again. And we see the wrist again where, um, you know, it looks like, you know, again, like the mummy and the story being told in the beginning that the head's hand cut off. And boy, they don't waste any time here. We get right into it where then now she's back at the Metropolitan Museum and she's coming back. She's all dressed up in this uh, like, I don't know if it's supposed to be Egyptian or ancient, you know, Chinese garb or whatever it is. And there's two, you know, uh, museum guards and they're like, Hey, the princess, she came back to life. And he goes, no, look at her left hand. That's Su Li Hao. And then, she, you know, they come rushing over and she just faints. And then, of course, Nick, you know, or, or I'm sorry. Yeah, Nick Abrams shows up the cop 
and he carries her off. And <laughs> it's funny that one guy says, calm down. Don't worry about the costume. Just get her home. Cause he's just like, what is she doing dressed like this? You know, it's uh, he's, he doesn't even know what's going on, but he's in the backseat of a patrol car with her. And there's a cop driving them around. And, you know, he says, uh, lady Karis did this to you. She must have, don't worry tomorrow. I'll have a warrant for arrest on some charges. And all of a sudden she slaps him and says, course fool. How dare you touch me? <laughs> Yes, she. It's odd that she faints. He carries her out. She comes to. She's pissed off again. We don't know what's causing these bouts of anger and you know, and the the fainting spells. But it's 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 very. Um, I, I don't know. The transitions are very quick. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. There are certain parts of the the, the story here that they they move really fast. <clears throat> and other parts that, you know, kind of drag a little tiny bit. But yeah, that that part, you know, the progression is really fast, which kind of it hurts it a little bit because it makes it more difficult for you to follow the story and see what's kind of going on. Almost sometimes you have to, you know, uh, make up your own idea of what's going on. Right. Yeah. For sure. Mm hmm. And then uh, she says, never return to this place. The sight of you disgusts me. So he's like left wondering, like, what is going on here? And. Then, you know, she comes back and that lady Karis is there and she says, Sue, and she says, I trust you have prepared for tomorrow night's ritual. I grow impatient for life. And she says, princess, she says, everything is ready. The six lamps, the jade and your mortal remains. Soon I will lock <clears throat> your soul in Sue Lee Howe's body forever. So, of course, you know, now we know what's going on here. This is, you know, Sue's just a regular chick. And this lady here, this Karis is, uh, trying to bring back you know this uh this the soul or whatever of uh, this uh dead mummy into uh, her body right yeah we've yeah it's nice we finally get the explanation of what's going on um she is possessed by this this uh ancient princess um so that's that explains the whole you know personality transitions and then we we find out what the deal is with the lamps um, and the jade and that they're necessary to bring her, you know, bring her in into this body forever and everything. So it's, it is a nice explanation as to what's going on. Yeah. And then poor Abrams, you know, he's at the station and can't figure out what's going on here. Well, at least to me, it looks like he's at the station, but I hope not because he's got a bottle of booze there. Uh, so yeah. hopefully he's at, yeah, so hopefully he's at his apartment and, He's, I guess he's trying to call Sue, and she won't answer. Why won't she answer? And he chucks the phone off the wall. <laughs> I like that panel. <laughs> yep. And he's like, Lady Karis, if she sees me, I'm lost. I've had too much to drink. I can't withstand her hypnosis. So now he knows what she's all about. I don't know if Madame Xanadu explained that to him or what, but he's like, but I know someone who can. And that's exactly where he goes to Madame Xanadu and is like, hey, you know, help me out here. You know what I mean? I'm. I'm drunk. I can't take it. I need help. I don't know what's going on here. But yeah, on that page there, um, I think it's uh, page 14, where we got a really good shot of the city and there's like a blackout going on. And he's like, oh, the storm must have knocked out the power station. That is a great panel there. I really, really like that one. Yeah, I do, too, especially because the whole city's gone dark, except Man Up Xanadu's shop. It's still lit <laughs> because we see his car on the street and the light coming from the windows and the rain. And the, you know, there's other people looking out their windows to see what's going on. Really well done. Really effective panel. 
Yeah, that's great. And he's like, you're the only one that can stop her. And he's like, she just says, I cannot. We are already too late. And she's got one of her jars there. And there's a, a face in the jar. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know who this face is supposed to be. Is that supposed to be Madame Xander's reflection? Is that supposed to be somebody else? Is that supposed to be somebody from the story? I, I don't get that. I, I don't either. And even when I finish the story, I am not quite sure. I don't know mm. if that's supposed to be Sue Lee's spirit is, you know, when it's outside the body and the princess is possessing it. Is it the princess's? Yeah. I, th there doesn't seem to be any explanation. Yeah. Yeah. That one's kind of strange. So it's like, okay, we're just moving on. And <laughs> then yeah. uh, he, uh, uh, he he's outside then Abrams and he's like, look, that blue glow is coming from Chinatown. It's the only light in the city. It's got to be the lamps. And he's like, if you're coming for the love of heaven, hurry. And he goes blasting out of there, squealing the tires. And Madame Xanadu is just standing there. And then <laughs> we see these guys <laughs> trying to steal a TV and something else. And he goes, uh, the cop, it's my duty to help stop these looters. But this chaos, but I, I can't. So his uh, uh, love and wondering what's going on with this uh, woman that he loves and uh, everybody else that's mystery that's surrounding her is stopping him from stopping uh, looters who are just, you know, ransacking the city here. So way to go, pal. <laughs> yep. Put love before duty. <laughs> yeah. And then I love this next panel, too, uh, where we see Madame Xanadu standing on a rooftop and it's uh, across from this uh, building and it's an, an abandoned house of worship. So some abandoned church. I don't know how he got to there because it hasn't really if the light just led him there or what happened because we haven't seen this building before and he hasn't been there. He just comes busting in and says, Sue, and we can see her in that crazy outfit laying on a table. And this Karis is there in this crazy robe with like a dragon on the back and the lamps all lit. And she says she has gone forever and powers of Princess Morea are at their peak. And, you know, it's up to him to stop her at this point. And he says. It can't be your, and she goes, Prince, Princess Morea, slay him now. And we just see this crazy sword, and it just kind of shows up, because I don't remember seeing a sword anywhere except for in that very first page where that samurai mummy guy killed the old guy, you know, uh, Sue's father. She kind of like, I don't know, she just like kind of manifests it, or if it was in the background, and she like uses like telepathy to pick it up or what. And she says, slaves do not command royalty. And the, the sword comes down, but it kind of looks like it misses Karis. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no uh, blood or violence in the in the shot. Just similar to the earlier shots, too. Um, but yeah, the sword does strike her in some fashion. She's down on the ground and we see the the six fingered six fingered hand mark on her neck, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty cool. The the nice allusion to the the princess. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that, too. I mean, like I said, it's just the, the visual when the, the sword, you know, supposedly kills uh, that Karis there. It's just it's just a bit off. I don't know if it was just because, you know, Johnny Craig was afraid to show something a little more violent that it might get, you know, uh, you know, he might have to redo it because they'd be like, hey, that's, you know, over the line or something. You know, what I mean, he you figure he's an old EC guy. So at one point he was drawing like decapitations and stuff like that. And then they got told, hey, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I, this definitely feels like a, uh, a uh, you know, hey, don't show any blood and gore kind of thing. Yeah, and then all of a sudden we see there's uh, uh, Sue, and she has the uh, the uh, uh, jade, you know, uh, in her hand. And 
uh, Abram says, it's hopeless, Madame Zanadu. The transformation is complete. And she says, is it? If you believe that love can bridge the centuries, stand your ground. If not, flee. And he's like, Sue, if you can hear me, fight her. And then we do see Sue, like, you know, having a, you know, a crisis here. You know, half of her brain, you know, wants to be this, you know, crazy uh, reincarnation or whatever you want to say, you know, or possessed, uh, you know, old princess or just Sue. And they're fighting. And then all of a sudden the jade drops out of her hand as she kind of struggles with herself and smashes. And you see out of the jade, there is like a, uh, a crazy like green colored spirit that comes out of it. And then there's just a bunch of smoke and Sue runs over to Abrams and, um, you know, they're going to embrace, but Madame Xanadu, she like whips her crazy uh, cape around here and says, Lieutenant, both you and the girl must leave this terrible place. And uh, Sue says, Nick, who is this woman? And he goes, I'm not sure myself, but listen to her. <laughs> so the two of them get <laughs> out of there and, you know, they they go out into the streets and kiss. It's just a nice scene. But then we see Madame Xanadu walking away. What does she have in the crazy jar? She's got the six fix, six fingered hand, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. I was just like, "Well, that's creepy," but yeah. So that you know, that's a, that's it for that one. And yeah, that was pretty good. I mean, I honestly, I and I love all the old DC guys and Johnny Craig. Like I said at, at the beginning, he's he's one of my favorites. But I feel like this is one of the weakest, if not the weakest, issue out of the you know the four we've done so far, just based on the artwork alone. Uh, yeah, I agree. There there are some bright spots, um, mm-hmm. but overall, yeah, it's the weakest of the of, of the bunch so far. Um, some of the some of the transitions are just a little jostling. Um, there's not as much <laughs> detail in the characters as mm-hmm. the other issues we've seen. It's not bad per se, but when you look at them as a group, yeah, it's a it's a little bit weaker. Yeah, so, all right, well, we let's move on to number five here, and this is uh, Doorway to Nightmare number five, uh, cover dated September, October 1978, and this, again, my Kaluta cover, and this is an interesting cover here. I really like this one a lot. We have uh, Madame Xanadu sitting in a chair, and she has one of her, you know, jars, but this is like one of these, like, oversized jars, um, and it's got some kind of crazy top to it with, like, this little skeleton with, like, horns, and then... Inside, it looks like she's got some kind of red demonic. I don't know if that's supposed to be like a spirit or a ghost or like a head. What do you think of this one? Uh, it's it is another good cover. Um, I like that this image really emphasizes the um, mysticism of her her room with the different jars um, and the candles, and you see the smoke in the uh, wafting around the room. Um, And then she's got the one really ornate jar in her lap there. Um, Yeah. Great cover. Don't quite know what um, she's holding, except that, you know, it does look like the thing on top of the jar does have horns um, and it looks like a face, but yeah, another good cover. Yeah. I really like this one. And again, it's got like a, a, you know, a green and black background, you know, the doorway to nightmare, like nightmare is huge <laughs> the way it's written out on the uh, cover here. And I like that, too. And it says more fearful pages in Day of the Devils. And, you know, we have uh, Madame Xanadu here and she's looking a little more demure than usual for uh, <laughs> for for one of these issues. Right. <laughs> yeah, she definitely is. Um, we, it's You know, it's a sideways shot. She's got I, I like that. 
this almost seems like Madame Xanadu relaxing. She's in the chair. She doesn't have any shoes on. She's um, she's still got the jewelry, you know, the uh, choker and everything, her bracelets and rings. But it's it's a little more um, subdued of her um, mm-hmm. than the other covers that have been kind of, you know, she's striking a sexy pose or she's got a sultry look on her face. Um, this one's definitely a little more laid back, but but just as good as the rest for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like this one a lot. And uh, all right, so let's move to the inside here. So we have a script by Scott Edelman, uh, pencils, Romeo Tangal, inks, Vince Coletta, colors, Adrian Roy, and letters, Clem Robbins. So, all right, let's just jump into this one. So uh, Street Tufts, Vic, and Buck are egging on young Jimmy as it's his night of initiation for a gang called The Devils. The two tell him to mug an Asian man, but initially it doesn't go well as the old man uses his martial arts skills to fight back. They eventually knock him out, though, and head back to their crib. Once there, we meet Anne, Jimmy's girlfriend, and the only positive voice in his life. She convinces him to meet with Madame Xanadu to try and show him he's on a pathway to prison. All right, so this one was a this one was a good bit different. I feel like I got a really different vibe from this one from the other ones, and I don't know if that's because it was you know Scott Edelman uh, writing it here, but even the artwork here. We start out on this uh, very first page, and this again, this this one's like no other page so far we've seen. You know, uh, introduction page here where you know you got Madame Xanadu standing there with this you know candelabra, and the 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 candles are you know you know. It's almost like a mist turning into a doorway to nightmare that's in like an orange red. And then we have like a green mist swirling all around. And then, you know, a little bit of a text piece here, too. And then probably a page or a panel that's about a third of the page. And it's kind of our uh, intro to the story here as to what's happening here that I said about these uh, this street gang. Right. Yeah, it, it's definitely different um, from the other ones um, where it's less of a splash than, um, you know, you're really setting up the story. You've got the, in the inset picture with these three tough looking dudes, um, the doorway to nightmare and the text, it's all still well done, but yeah, different from the previous issues. Yeah. And I like how in the background behind these three uh, thugs, we see the moon with some bats and then you can see there's one storefront lit up and it's Madame Xanadu's. <laughs> so she's yeah. uh, this is her block that this is happening right in front of her store basically. And, you know, it's like, I do think, Obviously, it's a little stereotypical, but I do like how they think they're just going to, you know, roll right over this older, smaller man. And he uh, kicks the crap out of a couple of them. I like I freeze gramps. They tell him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this is this all seems like. Uh, um, you know, of its time, but very, very much like an, an, an older guy, how he thinks about kids on the street being street toughs and gangs like that and what they might be doing or saying, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's very much like uh, dialogue written by somebody quite a bit older as what they think is what life on the street is like. Yeah. And it's funny. He, you know, judo throws uh, the younger one, uh, Jimmy and knocks him out and the one guy's like oh he, he flattened him and the other guy the, with the red hair and the mustache is like you may have decked our buddy mister but he was just a green kid let's see how you stack up against and the whole guy hits him and says against a brutish imbecile such as you <laughs> and he just kicks the guy and he's like beating on the, he's gonna start beating on them pretty bad but the other guy 
from behind comes up with a gun and hits him over the head with it and knocks him out. And then they, I don't know if it ever actually shows them robbing him. Oh yeah. They do grab the bag of money on page three or page four there. They do grab the money and then they kind of wake Jim up and they're like, dude, let's get out of here. You know, the fuzz is going to show up. And then uh, we see Madame Xanadu that she was, I guess, looking out her window and Jim turns to look and he sees her. It's a good panel. It is a good panel. And we get that whole, you know, she's the she's the witness to the crime kind of thing. So mm-hmm. he, he's already feeling guilty. Um, but, yeah, it's it is a good panel. The look on his face, you know, he's half in shadows and she's mm-hmm. just staring blankly, at, you know, silently judging them. Mm-hmm. And I like how the caption reads about to follow Jim stares back and is transfixed. His eyes locked with those of a fiery woman peering out from a shadowed doorway. Struggling, he breaks free of her hypnotic gaze and swiftly flees. <laughs> See him running down the street. And yeah, they go to a, a pretty rough looking part of town. And <laughs> it's just weird. It looks like there's this tiny little shack on top of a building. And they go into the door and it says, only rats survive here. Rats and devils. And they open the door to go into this tiny little shack. But there's stairs that lead down into a much bigger building where it's kind of like their uh, their gang HQ here. And uh, <laughs> somebody goes, hey, the hit honchos are back. And a couple other guys, hey, how'd the punk do? And uh, uh, the, the guy that's kind of like one of them in charge here, I think his name is Vic. He says, welcome a new devil, gang. He's one of us. And this woman, that's one of the biker chicks, uh, gang chicks, uh, she comes running over and like puts her arm around him and kisses him on the lips and says, congrats, Jim. You're a real man now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And and that's another that's you know, that's kind of what I mean. It's like that. Nobody would say that in real life. Right. So that's (laughs) it's definitely somebody writing like, oh, this is this is what somebody a young person would say. Yeah. And then he's like, "Uh, thanks, June. And she says, see you later, Jimmy. Now that you're a devil, going to have to get to know you much better. (laughs) I was like, holy crap. And come on, everybody, let's have some fun. And you just see all these random couples in the background making out. It's just hilarious. It's almost like they're ready to have a an orgy here. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And yeah, he's got his, his devil jacket on and uh, yeah. his his girl comes up to him after that weird flirty thing. Um, mm-hmm. She says, I've been looking for you, trying to catch you alone all evening. He just got there. Yeah. <laughs> all evening. It's like, you know, five minutes later. Okay. But yeah, she says, Jim, you have to know how much I hate all this. Let's leave. Walk out. Never come back. And he's like, don't talk like that, Anne. There must be some. And she goes, but I must talk. There is something inside of me which won't let me keep quiet any longer. And she's like, they've made you a devil on the outside, but I want to prevent them from warping you into having a devil soul as well. And that panel's crazy, too. You got these people, like I said, it's like, like, you know. Just about getting ready to, you know, get it on here in this panel while they're having this conversation. I'm like, this is kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's having this whole sob story thing, crying on his shoulder, and people are making out left and right. There's the the woman has a tattoo that says "Foxy Lady." <laughs> it, it's all very funny. Yeah, it's great. And like you said, she's trying to have this serious conversation with him, and he's listening and listening and listening. And then she's like, please, will you come with me to see her tomorrow? Because she wants to take him to see a friend. And, of course, we know that's probably Madame Xanadu. And he says yes. But then before they can leave, 
that uh, June comes back and says, loosen up, Jim. Stop moping in a corner with Miss Straight Laced here. And he goes, but I, and she goes, join the party. And I think we know what that means. And yep. she drags Jim off and he goes, the caption says, Jim Sanders looks back over his shoulder at Ann. And once more this evening, he fills his soul. He feels his soul murmur in fear. And she's just standing there crying. <laughs> like, yeah, wow. She's giving him the same kind of look that Madame Xanadu did a couple panels earlier. Mm-hmm. Madame Xanadu wasn't crying in those panels, but it's the same kind of, you know, stare silently judging his actions. Yeah, and I don't know if this is the second. It's at least the second. It's not the third time. Then when you turn the page to and go to page eight there, it's Greenwich Village, and there's like a party going on. I'm like, man, I'm going to move there. They just party all the time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so they're walking down the street, and you know, here we are, Madame Xanadu, a reader and advisor, and he's like, I only hope she can advise us. And he's like, wait a minute, Madame Xanadu? So that's that chick's name from last night. Just what are you trying to pull, Anne? She goes, what do you mean? And obviously, what do you mean? Like, why would he think she's trying to pull something? She wasn't there last night. They don't. She has no idea where they were when they mugged that yeah. old man. So what's he talking about? Yeah, he he flips out, and it, you know, I get why they're doing it, but it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, why would she know that his initiation was a mugging right in front of this very store? You know? Yeah, it's crazy. And he says, "Knock off the innocent bit, will you? If you're trying to split me from the devils by getting me in trouble." Or making me think on them, forget it. It won't work. <laughs> I love it. And Madame Xanadu is like right at the doorway, and she goes, "There's no need for shouting, James Sanders." And he goes, "How did you know my name?" And she says, "I merely overheard your discussion." You know, and she invites them in, and you know, has them sit down at the table. And uh, he says, "The decor matches Madame Xanadu perfectly," because he says it's so cold and eerie. <laughs> yeah. And she's staring off into one of her jars here, and she's like. Uh, you know, let's talk about the detail of your problems here. And, you know, Anne says, you know, there wasn't any problem at first. There was only the biggest crush. And, you know, she goes into their history of how, you know, they went to high school together and she was a year younger than him and like really liked him and kind of like bumped into him to meet him one day and how they were having this like, you know, storybook kind of romance. But, uh, you know, he got involved in the wrong crowd here and dropped out of high school uh, like what a week or two only before he graduated. And that was like, Oh my gosh, what? Yeah. He, he, they say he failed his college entrance exams and then it all goes downhill from there. He's in league with the devils. He drops out of high school. He's smoking. He's mad at, mad at her. You know, it's all, all because he failed an exam. I mean, what he can't, you know, ditch, ditch, the world needs ditch, ditch diggers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hilarious. So, yeah, she just keeps going on and on about how he's just getting in deep with this gang. And uh, she says, I beg you, Madame Xanadu, help me save Jim from himself and from the devils before it's too late. And she says, and what have you to say to that, James? And he says, first of all, I love Anne. She's the only good thing I have left. But I also feel as if I have no control over my life. I feel trapped, unable to change the things I know are wrong. I don't enjoy being a devil or doing the things they do. But they are what life has dealt me, and I'll have to make do. And Madame Xanadu is kind of just like, listen, dude, you do have control over your life. You don't, you know, you're not a piece of driftwood floating around. And you have to, you know, end up wherever you end up. That's not how, you know, life is. And, you know, I like how she kind of tells him how it is. And then she says, and I have something we must discuss in private. Wait here and decide. So they leave the room. 
And I'm wondering what this was really all about because I don't, what did she have to tell her that she couldn't say in front of him? And they leave the room and then all of a sudden he looks at this kind of like a, it says it's a soul, an ornate soul jar, but it almost looks like a, like a large vase. I'm trying to think there's a specific name for them. Maybe I can't think of offhand, but it says within this ornate soul jar rests the eternal essence of one most evil. And we do know Madame Xanadu has all sorts of like, you know, jars and crap like that with demons and stuff in them. So this doesn't, you know, end well for Jim here, but we see him kind of reach towards something. And then the next thing you know, it's obviously not that I don't, it doesn't look like it could be that jar because it's, it looks really big in the picture, right? But he shoves it in his jacket. Yeah, the, the perspective is a little odd on that one. But yeah, it's, you know, he's he's ser- sitting there soul searching and he s- sees this jar and then he makes a choice to steal it. Almost as if that's what Madame Xanadu was, you know, it was a test for him. That's why she took June out of the room. Um, and so far he's failing the test miserably. Yeah, and when he does shove it into his jacket there, it almost looks like she's watching him, like, that she sees him do it, too. So I'm thinking, yeah, she kind of, like, put him to a test here. And, you know, he says he could get at least 50 bucks for it. And, you know, the two of them leave, and she says, farewell, I'll be seeing you both again soon. And they leave, and they go back to uh, the devil's, you know, headquarters here. And look who's back. Hey, Jim, what's shaking? And he goes, get an eyeful of this. And he pulls that you know, vase or whatever it is, or jar out. Wow, look, some guy, wow, what Rockefeller did you rip that off from? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and then, Jim, how could you, Madam Xanadu trusted you in trying to help both of us. Is this how you get on the right track again? By stealing? Why, Jim? And then, of course, now everybody starts kind of turning on Anne. You know something, lady? You're nuts. I don't know why we ever let you hang out around the devils in the first place. And he says, I'm sorry, uh, this is Jim now. He says, I'm sorry, Ann, but I had to do it. I had to do something to really make the devils respect me. And she's like, what about me, Jim? What about my respect? And he pulls the top off of this crazy jar. And you see this green, like, fog or mist or something, like, envelop him. And he's just like, ugh. And she's like, Jim. And then you flip to the next page. And he's kind of laying there like he's, you know, not dead, but like almost like in a coma or something like that. And then he stands up and he goes wrong. And he says, now here, this devils, there are going to be some changes made. And of course, Anne's just like, what is going on? And, you know, he's acting all crazy. And, you know, the guys that are running this gang are like, listen, pal, who died and made you boss Jimbo or Jim boy. He goes, you ain't got the muscle to push us around. And all of a sudden with this crazy look on his face, he says, really? And he zaps the crap out of these two guys. I think it's like that Vince and Buck or Vic and Buck and turns them to ashes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he he's glowing green. And what what's funny about it is like, all right, so we know he's possessed now, but um, June actually sees it. She says that glow. So everybody sees that he's glowing or at least she does anyway. And yeah. then. Yeah, two panels later, bam, those two guys are crispy critters. He just nails them, and he says, (laughs) any other objections? I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, and good God. And you see both of those guys laying there. One of them's already just nothing but a pile of bones, and the other one looks like he's, you know, cooked pretty good, like, you know, they're dead. But, yeah, it kind of reminded me of, uh, I can't think of the name of him, the villain. There's a Batman villain, and is it? Is it Dr. Phosphorus or something like that, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I, 
I feel like he, you know, could cook people like that or something. But, you know, anybody with like heat or like radiation powers or something like that, they could do this to people. But yeah, yeah. so she's just like, I got to get out of here. And it's like, this is crazy. And he says, uh, this is Jim now. Come to me, June, for soon the world will be in my possession and then you will be my queen. And she says, whatever you say, tiger. And she's like jumping on him. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like talking like, you know, we're not going to do like petty crimes or anything like that anymore. We're going to, you know, do some really, really wild stuff. And what does he say they're going to do? They're going to assassinate the mayor. And a bunch of the guys are like, hey, why not? Let's do it. We don't care. We don't care about anything. We don't like that guy. And Anne takes off and she's like, I got to get help. And he sees her take off and he's like, get her. And he's like, I don't care what you must have to do. Just stop her. And, you know, she goes trucking out of there, crawls down this crazy ladder and tries to get away. And they catch up to her, but she does get away from two of them because she just uses her head and they kind of smash into each other. And somebody like chucks like a I don't know if it's almost like a some kind of crazy weapon at her, like almost like a uh, well, I'm trying to think of what the name of those is. And they it's throw it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Blackjack. And he bounces it off her head and she's like, oh, and she can't almost make it. But she's right by Madame Xanadu's store. So, you know, she lets her in. And you don't see those guys like they, they were coming down the street. And I don't know if they didn't see her, let her in and bring her inside. But well, she kind of starts begging Madame Xanadu for help. And I need help. And I need help. And she says, there's nothing I can do to help. And she's like, what do you mean? Like, you know, I fought my way through an army of gorillas. You tell me there's nothing you can do. You're a fortune teller. I thought you were a magic in the magic stuff. She goes, perhaps you, but perhaps, but still, you must be the one to save Jim. She's like, what do you mean? You know, I'm not going to be able to do anything like, you know, that I can't, you know, help him or anything like that. And she's like, oh, you have some kind of like oh, latent magic power of your own. And she kind of like puts her hands on her. So I don't know if this is something she just brings out of Anne or she kind of juices her up to go out and fight, you know, the the gang who now is uh, pounding on Madame Zanadu's door. Like, hey, we know you're in there. And, you know, uh, Anne comes out swinging here and uh, takes on the Jim the Demon. Yeah, and the way I I kind of took it as um, because Madame Xanadu doesn't necessarily get directly involved, she transferred some kind of power to her. This I, I that's the way I read it. And it, it, you know, she's not magical. It's Madame Xanadu um, transferring power, giving her the ability to do what needs to be done. Is the way I took it. Yeah, yeah, something like that for sure. But yeah, she kind of goes after Jim here and they they, they battle one on one and she ends up, you know, winning and uh, expelling this crazy demon uh, from Jim. And <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> then they, they go back to the, you know, the scene where it's almost like before where they're in the shop and she says, you know, basically the same thing. It's deja vu all over again. They leave him sitting there and he's looking over at the jars and <laughs> then they say, well, James, uh, have you made up your mind? And she says, yes, I see that you have. And he's like, I'm not sure what you've done, but somehow I feel as our problem is ended. Uh, and uh, Jim says, maybe you're right, Anne. I feel this gut feeling or I have this gut feeling. It's time I took another crack at college. And Madame Xanadu says, farewell. And she says, they've forgotten. But still, for both of them, the devils have become a thing of the past. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And it's a nice little wrapper to that. Um you know, her, her comments there. I like how um, it brought us back to that scene earlier where he's being tested. And this time he take he chooses wisely, um, doesn't steal the jar. Um, it, it was a nice end to that story, I thought. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I did enjoy it quite a bit. You know, it just it was it was just a little bit different from what we've seen so far. Um, so I did enjoy that one, you know, quite a bit, you know, from, uh, from start to finish, even with a couple of <laughs> goofy things or whatever, but, uh, all right, well, that wraps up, you know, the one through five series, but then, you know, uh, July, 1981, just, you know, like I said, two, three years in there later, you know, DC put out a, uh, Madam Xanadu number one, and it's just a, a one shot here and it's a really cool story here, but guess who they brought back for the cover? Mike Kaluta. <laughs> So, uh, what do you think of this cover? This is a really good one too. It kind of is, you know, right in line with uh, what we've seen so far from him. But you know, obviously, it looks a little more slick uh, than what we'd seen in the previous five. I don't know if that was something, you know, it just you know maybe uh, uh, coloring or something like that had maybe you know advanced a little bit in those three years, like the process or whatever. But uh, what do you think? I like this cover. You're right. There, where the the other covers had. Um, uh, bright blues and purples on them and things like that. This cover has a lot more details. There's the whole, you know, the ornate candle with the crown of thorns. There's the jars. There are the tarot cards in the window behind her. Um, we've got the new Madame Xanadu logo. There's the trade dress. Um, but she still looks fantastic. It, you know, he still does her um, wearing the neat jewelry uh, with her, witch-like hands they're they're a little bonier looking in this cover um excellent cover though yeah it kind of has like a you know a window in the back that looks like it says xanadu on it it almost looks like the doctor strange window he has in the top of his uh, sanctum there <laughs> yeah it, it really kind of does with the the weird arch over it and everything in the mm -hmm. the uh the different uh, frame part of it yep exactly yeah, and the crazy jars are in the background to her right, you know, our left as well. But it doesn't look like there's anything in them. So maybe she just bought, you know, a new box full of jars for some more, you know, shenanigans she's going to put in them. <laughs> yep. But, one yeah. of the things that's neat about this cover is the back cover is the same picture without the trade dress. So you really just get the the whole illustration. And it's in, that's a neat touch. It's yeah, it's a it's an excellent image too. I, I love it. It's just, you know, it, again, the cover, the front cover looks great and everything, but when you mm -hmm. pull away the trade dress, it looks even better. Yeah. But all right, well here, let's get jumping into this one. So this one is uh, a whole different creative team here. So at this point uh, we have uh, Steve Englehart uh, scripting and pencils and inks by Marshall Rogers and Adrian Roy colors and Ben Oda on letters. Now this one is a uh, really, really uh, good too i the first time i read this one or actually i did honestly uh, now that i'm thinking about it i think this is the, only the second time i've read it i think i read it when i first got it and it blew me away loved it thought it was great and then you know slowly but surely i got the uh doorway to nightmare one through five you know so i only in my brain it just always does this i kind of compared this through the second reading to the you know the other five that we've just been through too so i do have some thoughts on that but I love how uh, in the indexer notes here on the Grand Comics database, it says originally intended for an issue of the canceled Doorway to Nightmare series. So I'm thinking, oh, so this story really was supposed to be, you know, like maybe Doorway to Nightmare 6, but the implosion happened around this time and it kind of got canceled. So um, that's why uh, that's why nothing happened there, right? Yeah, and I, I was wondering if this was a story that was um, 
created already and you know so now it's an inventory story at this point and they've had it so they want to use it that i was wondering if it was that so it's good to have that confirmed yeah 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 because i always feel like that happens you know when there's like a you know an implosion and stuff like that happens really quick and you get a stuff you know a lot of stuff canceled you know there's stuff that's you know was already either in production or just you know the stories were already written so you know what what happened to all those stories you know some of them end up yeah. in other areas and some of them ended up never getting published but uh all right well uh why don't we uh jump right into this one here and this one is called dance for two demons and i'm going to uh uh, uh liberally borrow the uh, synopsis that's on dc fandom here because it's actually pretty good <laughs> so um <laughs> a drug addict is caught trying to rob madame xanadu's place she takes him in to help him kick his habit Soon after, a woman visits with her magic book of spells she doesn't understand. The woman wants to learn witchcraft, but Madame Xanadu forebodes it. As the woman is about to storm out of the house, she spots the addict. They make eye contact and have an attraction to one another. Later, behind the back of Madame Xanadu, the woman takes the addict out of rehab. The two begin to live together with <laughs> begin to live together with drugs and as swingers. They read the book of spells and plan a costume party in order to gather brazen partygoers who also live the life of sin at the party the two come together and work the crowd into an evil frenzy with music booze and provocative images at midnight the hysteria reaches a fever pitch and the demons of ishtar and tammuz are released with the crowd yelling hail hail madame xanadu unmasks herself and shouts at the two hosts to stop and look into each other's eyes she wants them to look deep inside themselves for the original bond they share love at first sight with thoughts of honeysuckle and happy puppies, the two smile, confess their love for one another, and kiss, breaking the wicked fury in the room. The party's over. Days later, the woman visits Madame Xanadu and gives her the book of spells as she no longer wants to pursue witchcraft. Okay, so yeah, that that pretty much covers it here. But let's let's you and I dive into this one here. So starting out on this very first page, I will admit, uh, Marshall Rogers, he does a layout to this page here. You know, something that we hadn't seen before. A little bit, possibly, you could say, in that issue number five, you know, there was a, a little bit different of a layout, but this one is, like, really, really above and beyond. Yeah, I, you know, I was excited um, when I found out Marshall Rogers did this book. Mm -hmm. That's why I picked it up in the first place, because I really, I really dig his art. Um, so, yeah, when I, when I finally cracked this open... I, I was pleased as punch because the, the art's excellent. This is a great opening image. You know, it, it's the village. It's nighttime. There's uh, pink skies. So, I mean, could be the crisis is looming. Um, <laughs> we see this this guy in shadows, and then we see him getting closer, and he's at Madame Xanadu's shop, and he finds the doors unlocked. But it's all – it's – it's eerie, like the book is, like we've come to expect the book to be. Um, it's mysterious as to why the characters are at her shop, like we've come to expect. So this is, it's, it's, it's well done, um, and it, it's, it's another nice intro to uh, one of these stories for sure. Yeah, the layout and the panel progression here just really, and again, not, not to you know crap on the, the previous artists, they, they all did fine. Uh, but this is to me, this really stood out to me as much better than those. And e I even liked those and thought those were good. So I think, wow, I just, you know, this is really excellent stuff here. I got to give it its due. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. 
nothing not that there was nothing wrong with any of the previous books this one is just that much better yeah it really is you know and i marshall rogers i i do have uh the volume uh i think it's probably called volume two of dr strange uh i that's the first longer series i ever completed and i know he's got a little bit of a run in there and then i also have uh, a hardcover where it's uh, all of uh, Steve Englehart's work on Batman. And I think a good bit of that, or at least a, a decent chunk of it, was uh, Marshall Rogers, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. Yeah, and then he comes into her place, and there's a really good shot there on page two, you know, that top panel of the inside of her uh, shop here, which is really cool. And like I said, he's, yeah, he's running around looking for something he can steal or drugs or whatever, and <laughs> she just says, you will not find what you were looking for here, at least not what you've come to find. And he's like, just get out of my way, lady. Don't try to stop me. And you see him fumbling around for something in his pockets. And she says, put that knife down, Joseph. You won't use it. And he goes, huh, you know me? And she says, I have a sense of you, a troubled man, hooked on something you no longer control. You want to be free of it, to be happy with yourself as you used to be, no longer knowing where to turn. And wow, again, that, that page three there, there's you know kind of like a one big panel at the top and it almost looks like it's split into two different scenes, but it's really the, the same panel. And then there's a tiny little panel in the middle there where she says about putting the knife away. And then again, a very thin panel with just her eyes and then another small square panel that zooms in on her eye. And then finally, you know, at the bottom, you know, her eye is, you know, very prominent right there in front of the reader. That's again, you weren't seeing these things with the previous artists that you're seeing here with Rogers. No, it's really excellent. You know, she's got the uh, elaborate candle um, that she lights seemingly with her fingers. I mean, it's, I don't know. But, yeah, he's fumbling around for the knife. And then we see as it progresses, there's a, a, a the image of the flame from the candle in her eye. And, you know, this, what, falling figure finally. Um as she's describing what's happening to that guy mm -hmm. all really well, the, the dialogue and the, the progression of the art just works so well right here. Yeah. Engelhart and Rogers were a really good team. I mean, I just think, oh, I wish they could have worked together even more, but yeah, it's just, it's a really good scene. And, you know, she kind of says to this guy like, Hey, you know, you've got a problem and I can help you. And, you know, she says to her, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to find, uh, your problem with, uh, you know, being on drugs, she's like, there's a place right down the street here, a clinic. And he's like, a clinic can't help me. I need I need something magic. You look like and she goes, you find your magic in drugs, Joseph. It is time you find reality. Hard work has its reward. And she, he goes, OK, I'll give it a try. Where do I go? And she says, come, I will walk there with you. And he goes, I don't even know your name. And she says, I am Madame Xanadu. And she walks him down to this clinic. And then it says uh, two hours later, as morning comes to Christie Street. And this is when we get to meet uh this young lady here, Laura Grant, that says, you know, that she's, you know, originally from, I don't know, somewhere out west, oh, South Dakota. And, uh, you know, she's there seeking advice because uh, she says, I think she says it's her grandmother, isn't it? Or I'm sorry, mm -hmm. her, aunt, her aunt Esther said she knew a Madame Xanadu when she lived in New York about 40 years ago. But it couldn't have been you. You know, was it your mother, maybe? An aunt? And then uh, page five there, and I tweeted this panel out earlier. Oh, my gosh. Marshall Rogers does this panel of Madame Xanadu, where she's kind of looking straight at the reader with her head cocked down a little bit and a candle melting right in front of her. And it's just like, wow, I would love like that to be a poster. 
I yeah, and I wonder is that Oof. sort of a callback to uh, issue one that you know where she is staring at the reader like that and this is it's his own take on it because that's what it reminded me of is that cover could uh, be yeah it but I mean he does a magnificent job and yeah it's it's striking there's no dialogue she just has this look and an ever so slight smirk um, really fantastic. Mm, yeah that is something else and um then she goes on to say about you know how she you know left uh her aunt's house well actually her aunt's house she was uh kind of you know helping her clean up and nosing around and found this crazy looking book and then she took it off her and was like never touch any of my stuff and you know she goes on to say that you know her her aunt was a witch and she says she could even call up demons it was trippy <laughs> i'm like oh yeah that, yeah that sounds like a real trip all right let's call up demons <laughs> Yeah, well, that's kind of crazy. But she says how one time when her aunt was out, she snuck into the house and stole this book. And this is what something I didn't quite understand what Englehart was trying to say here. You know, she took the book out of her house and then the house burned down with the aunt in it. So I didn't I, I just thought to myself, like, it's what's he trying to say here? Does he mean like, you know, that book was somehow protecting the aunt from something or I, I don't know. I don't get what he was trying to say. I don't understand why that, uh, you know, it, was it a protection or was it a curse? Like, I don't understand that part. Yeah, I, I didn't get it either because we get the this nice little origin story. Um, and the, the aunt has all these mystical things. But you're right. It, and it, I mean, I almost thought, well, is he saying that the young woman did some spell screwy? But that's not the case. That's not what they're saying happened that. They're just saying because the book was gone, the house burned down. And it's like, that's not how curses usually work. <laughs> yeah, the, there's a caption box underneath the, the house <coughs> burnt down. And it says, I know that wasn't too cool, meaning to steal the book, but I really only meant to borrow it for a few days. Then that night, something terrible happened. Fire started in Aunt Esther's house and it burned to the ground. And then she says, with her in it. And Madame Zandu says, and how do you feel about that, Laura? And she goes, feel? Gee, I don't know. That's life, huh? And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Holy yep. crap, really? <laughs> Yikes. And she's, uh, Madame Zandu says, death is what it sounds like to me. And she goes, hey, it was an accident. You're not trying to blame me for taking her stupid book. Madame, Madame Zandu says, I thought you believed in witchcraft. And she says, don't you see a connection? And she goes, I don't know anything about witchcraft. That's what I came to you for, to find out. Only you're not the person I thought you were. I think I made a mistake. And she says, sit down, please. And she pulls out her deck of tarot cards and says, the cards never make mistakes. Let us consult them about your dilemma. And as she's, you know, getting the cards out, she pulls one out and says, the queen of cups, a young girl, inexperienced and yet eager for the unknown, crossed in her desires by blindness and ignorance and greed. And, you know, she gets a couple more cards out and starts explaining them to her. And uh, Laura says, this is just scare talk. And she says, there's only one path to, path to peace, Laura. And you hear this, Madame Xanadu, and it's the drug addict guy. He came back in, and uh, he goes, you got to help me. That clinic place is, is no good. They think I can just stop, just like that. And uh, this Laura says, don't you, isn't there something you can give me? Or I'm sorry, that's the guy saying this again, uh, Joseph. And he's, Madame Xanadu says, Joseph, surely you haven't tried very hard. These things take time. And he's like, but I need to know something. I need something now. And she says, have you asked for a temporary substitute? Their program does provide for it. And I'm thinking, yeah, 
they don't expect you to just go cold turkey. Usually they try to like wean you off of something, you know, rather than do that because it can really harm your body even worse. Right. I mean, it's it's obviously she brought him to a methadone clinic without saying that it's a methadone clinic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she says, have you come to terms with the reality of your plight? And he goes, uh, no. Well, I just got antsy, you know, because she's trying to explain to him, like, you have to really want to quit. And then it'll be easier for others to help you. If you don't really want to quit, all the help in the world isn't going to do much good. And she says, go back, Joseph. I'll stop by to see you in a few days. And he says, okay, okay, I just got to relax. And he goes, lady, you gentle me. And he goes, you really do. And then he turns and he looks at Laura and (laughs) it shows their faces being like right close to each other. And this like, you know, look, they share in these hearts. And at first I'm thinking, well, you know, this is a book about magic and stuff like that. Is this Laura really into witchcraft? It's like she putting the whammy on this poor guy or what? Yeah, it it, it looks like the uh, a literal love connection and that they stare into each other's eyes and there's hearts. So there's a kind of a neat cartoony quality to that to that panel. Um, mm-hmm. But I do like how. Madame Xanaduce talked this guy off a ledge. She talks him into going back to the thing. There's that weird you gentle me expression. I, I don't know what that's all about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it seems to have calmed him down. And then uh, Laura here starts to, um, you know, she watches as he leaves and everything. So obviously there's a connection there and something's going to happen between the two of them. Yeah, it's funny. Laura gets all pissed off, though, and says, I'm not going or I'm going to you don't gentle me with all your down vibes. Madame Xanadu says, Laura, will you leave the book? It was not meant for you. And she's like, you know, no, I'm not leaving it here with you. She just absolutely won't. Even when Madame Xanadu like kind of demands it, she says the book, Laura. And she says, no, And she walks out and, you know, she knows some bad crap's going to go down. And again, the the panels on page 10 there. What a great progression of, you know, Madame Xanadu standing there kind of, uh, you know, having a, a, an inner monologue with herself here and saying about how, you know, much bad vibes and bad things are going to happen because of this book. And then in the next panel, she reaches towards the candle. And in that third panel, you know, you see she uses her fingers to put the light out, the candle out, and uh, it, it, the whole room goes dark except for a little bit of light, but she's in shadow the whole time. I really like those panels too. Yeah, and I like how the that middle panel we see the candle the candle flame in her eyes again um you mm. know bringing it bringing it back to the the scene earlier um and then the figures and sh- her figure in shadow really really well done yeah and then it says two mornings later and we see a set of panels where she's looking at the cards and she goes over and picks up her phone and i love it because it's one of those like old school phones that where it's just like you know the receiver and then the wire and then the piece you talk into <laughs> i love yep. that she says, uh, hello, I'd like to speak with Joseph Green, please. And the person on the other end of the phone says, I'm sorry, miss. Mr. Green left us yesterday in the company of his sister. And she goes, he has no sister. And, she, and then you hear, no sister. How do you? And then click, she hangs up. She grabs her crazy cape and heads out. And <laughs> on page uh, you know, 11 here, that, that very page on the very bottom, this crazy panel with these two idiot guys. All of a sudden, they're walking down the street. And I guess they catch a glimpse of Madame Xanadu and, Mmm, a lovely one. My penthouse is just a few doors away, Freddie. And Freddie, yeah, woo, let's get it on. <laughs> yeah. What in the world? And these two idiots, you know, they kind of go over there and get in her face and say, three's company, and I'm a company man. And she goes, step aside. And the other guy goes, hey, I can dig it, just you and me, huh? 
you picked the right one, baby. I got some tricks that'll make you. And she goes, I'm not interested. And she just kind of like walks in between the two of them. And I don't know if she did anything, you know, magic wise or just pushed her way through the two of them. But the two of them don't even care. They're just like, ridiculous. You'll be at the costume party tonight, won't you? And tonight's a long ways away. And then here we go. Two girls then come down the street. And there's these the same two bozos. And hey, forget her, Harold. Check this out. Owie, sweet stuff. <laughs> yeah, the, these guys are like right out of uh, Saturday Night Live. You know, two wild and crazy guys. I mean, they, you <laughs> yeah. know, they, they're like swinging their hips and they've got their hands out like, hey, baby. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's all just so silly and over the top. But it, it you know, it's funny in the um, the way Madame Xanadu has her cape on and, you know, doesn't pay him any mind or whatever. But it, it's, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it's, it's a funny scene. Yeah, and the two chicks jump on these guys, which is yeah. like, you know, let, let's be honest. They're not the greatest looking guys in the world, but it's like, okay, whatever. Whatever floats your boat, man. And the girl, let's see what you do about it, lover boys. And they start making out with these clowns. And Madame yeah. Xanadu looks back and thinks to herself, flesh pots in the city there are, but this is not normally one of them. <laughs> and she says, I wonder. And she goes into this uh, building, you know, hits the buzzer here. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, we get uh, our buddy uh, Laura here. And instead of being like glasses on and kind of looking like a librarian, she comes in the door and like, it almost looks like a negligee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's her hair is, is all undone, wild and loose, no glasses. You know, she's all done up. She's pretty with freckles, um, wearing, yeah, something very risque. <laughs> yeah, she says to Madame Zanada, well, hi there, Lady X. What's cooking? And she says, I'd like to speak to Joseph, Laura. And she goes, I thought you wanted to get well, Joseph. And he goes, ooh, Laura and me have got everything worked out fine. Just fine, so fine. Mmm. And she goes, nothing to worry about, madam. As they say, love conquers all. And Joseph says, or love makes the world go round. And the world sure is going round. Ha ha. So you're getting the impression that, you know, the two of them are living together and uh, he's high as a kite, right? Yeah, he he's had his fix there. They've obviously um, gotten worked up and, uh, you know, or are doing a little more than just uh, hanging out. Um, they're, they're obviously over the top in the, in a sexual relationship. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it, it, it's well done. It's not, you know, there's nothing too overt, but um, it's obvious what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, in the previous series, it, it seemed like, you know, the artists were trying to push the envelope a little bit more with how they were portraying, you know, you know, Madame Xanadu and some of the other female, uh, you know, uh, people in the stories, characters, and even with some of the scenes of, you know, people like making out and talking about this and that, but it wasn't too much. I felt like dialogue wise, but man, Englehart here, he's really, he seems to really be pushing it. So Laura says, make not a mockery of love. Ha, what a straight. Cause that's what Madame Xanadu said on her way out the door. Make not a yeah. mockery of love. And Joseph says, Hey, how about some more stuff, baby? And Laura winks at him and says, coming up, a shot of joy juice with me as a chaser. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely, you know, having a, a swinging lifestyle here. Um, and it, it is definitely pushing the envelope. Yeah. And then they say about getting out of this, you know, stuffy place for a while. Let's go for a walk. And they go out of the park and 
they kind of, you know, now that they're out of that element, start to kind of, you know, come back down and be a little bit normal here, you know, from being outside and stuff. And they say about, you know, some honeysuckle plants because she used to see them in South Dakota when she was a kid. And then a car almost hits a dog. So he goes running out, picks up the dog. And, you know, he's like, oh, I had a puppy once named Ralph. And, you know, the two of them kind of start snapping out of this funk that they're in. And at this point, it doesn't seem like it's any more than just drug use. Uh, but, you know, all of a sudden he says, Laurie, do you think we and she goes, don't say it, Joe, don't even think it. It's too late now. And I'm thinking, what's too late? And then the next panel, she has this real sinister look on her face and says, hey, what are we doing standing here getting all shushy or gushy? The printing there is really bad on this for me. Uh, he says, yeah, we've got more important things to do. And they they both look like, you know, they're they got back into this grip of, you know, I don't know if I want to say evil, but like I said, Laura really has a really evil look on her face there. Well, it, it, you know, they're, they seem to be getting out of that spell that they were under the drugs and the sex, you know, once they got a little fresh air. And then all of a sudden they they turn right back around to it. They're, they're like, oh, no, we, we, we want to be partiers or whatever. It's swingers again. They, mm-hmm. you know, he tosses the dog away like it's a, a doll or whatever. Um, <laughs> he says, don't know what I was thinking of, sweetie. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think about anything except tonight. And then we switch scenes to, uh, I'm assuming it's a friend of theirs that's like a seamstress. And she says, how are you coming on Joe and my costumes, Jean or Jeannie? And she says, all done, Laurie. They're looking good. Where'd you get the designs? And she says, out of an old book I've got. And the girl goes, must be some book. And then Laura says, Jeannie does good work, don't you think, Joe? Why don't you give her her reward? And Joe says, "Uh, gee, Laurie, you and me have to and." All of a sudden, Laura goes, Joe. And she goes, all right, all right, Laurie. And the chick says, dynamite, like Jimmy Walker, and jumps on him. So I'm thinking, they're paying this woman with sex? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap. I'm like, man, Engelhart, he was not uh, pulling any punches here, you know, being coy about things, was he? No, not at all. (laughs) Holy crap. And then I do like on, uh, I think it's page 17 there. The very first panel, it just says sundown, you know, the word sundown and in the back of the word, you know, there's like a skyline of a cityscape and everything. That's really cool, too. Yep, that's that's neat. Yeah. And then we see Laura here and she's, you know, her arm is breaking over the top of the panel into that little sundown panel as well. And she's got this insane costume on and, you know, these like horns coming out of some kind of headdress with a veil. And it, it looks pretty wild. And she says, enter all into the arena of Amor but leave your inhibitions at the door. <laughs> we see this crazy party they're having and it's a costume party. And uh, I don't know if that's supposed to be uh, Joseph or not, but he looks like he's dressed up like, uh, Oh, what's his name from that crazy movie? Uh, Rocky horror picture show. Yeah. Rocky horror picture show. Yeah. I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like, Holy crap. Cause he goes, what does he say? Uh, strut baby strut and then someone else Mm-mm, we should do this more often and then there's this older looking guy that says looks like the whole block is here so just invited everybody in the you know the neighborhood to come to this crazy costume party and this is wild yeah it, it's obviously um there's going to be a lot of debauchery and swinger party <laughs> um she's barely wearing anything um yeah and he's done up like uh tim curry and rocky horror and then they they point to somebody standing by the door in a weird, very weird looking costume. 
with a full green mask and no face. And uh, somebody says, dig her, little Bo Peep. And I'm, (laughs) I mean, I guess it's because she's not dancing or anything or being wild, but little Bo Peep. Yeah, she looks nothing like little Bo Peep. She has this green dress on and a green, dark green mask and this other crazy like uh, crown or some kind of headdress type thing on. And uh, the caption box says, only a silent serenity answers them from behind the vibrant green mask. And again, it looks like a blonde or reddish blonde haired woman. So you're thinking, okay, who is this? And then they start going wild and uh, come on, let's boogie. And all the people start dancing and going wild here. And we get all these crazy scenes of the party and it's getting out of control and getting wild. And then, like I said in the synopsis, then you get, uh, you would assume Laura and uh, Joe or Joseph holding up this crazy, like, uh, I don't know what you call that thing. Some kind of like ornamental looking uh, statues type thing. And there's a, like a, a chain with like this star or snowflake type looking thing hanging from it. And then I'm thinking to myself too, you know, again, I love the artwork in this. It's fantastic. But is that supposed to be Joseph there holding that up with her? Because if it is, did he do a costume change? Because when he was dressed up like Tim Curry and Rocky Horror, that's not what he was wearing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, Maybe that wasn't supposed to be him earlier, but that would be odd. Um, yeah. Either way, yeah, he he he's if he did change his outfit, they're holding this this weird smoking bowl, and it the the party is getting more and more amped up um, until it, until the, it says the hysteria reaches a fever pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we see that crazy huge splash page with these crazy demonic, you know, beings, Ishtar and Tammuz, uh, over the crowd. And of course, everybody's like, you know, bowing and saying, hail, hail. So everybody on the planet here is like, I shouldn't say on the planet, on the block here is like into this and like consumed by it. And you see these, you know, two like demonic things, like one looks like female, one looks like male. And, you know, they're talking all this crap and how many long years we've been, you know, away and, you know, we need to, you know, kind of take over here. And then all of a sudden you hear stop. And there's Madame Xanadu and she, and she was little Bo Peep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She pulls off the mask and wig stop. And they say, ah, Xanadu, you cannot stop me. <clears throat> yeah. She says, perhaps not, but they can. And she points at Laura and Joseph and they say, stop her, destroy her. And, <laughs> The one guy's like, we can go no further because it looks like Madame Xanadu can stop them. And there's uh, the Rocky Horror guy right now, right next to the old guy. <laughs> oh, man, that looks great. Yep. That's hilarious. And then she says, Laura, Joseph, look at me. And she gets the two of them to look at her and she starts, you know, kind of making a breakthrough with them here and saying about, you know, like, you know, don't do this, not for them. Remember what you feel like inside, feel for yourselves. And, you know, kind of just getting them to snap out of it. And she does start getting them to snap out of it a little bit. And she, by showing the puppy and the, uh, uh, honeysuckle that they saw out in the, uh, the, uh, the park there before when they were, uh, outside and starting to snap out of it before. Yeah. So the, it, it, it's the whole, uh, you know, the devils and angels at war for their, their, their soul apparently. So the, you know, they're, ch- the, the two demons are chanting for, the bliss that they feel and everybody at the parties telling them to get it on and everything. 
And then Madame Xanadu reminds them of the the little things they loved in life um, with the honeysuckle and dog. And they they look into each other's eyes and they sort of make that connection again, but uh, on a on an emotional level, not just the whole depraved, drug induced, sex addled level. Yeah, they were like going full uh, gatekeeper and key master here. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she snaps them out of it. And, you know, they do realize, you know, they've been doing wrong. And then, you know, oh, they kind of have a, a look and embrace and then kiss. And they say they love each other. And the crazy two demons kind of dissipate then. But there's this really cool panel there on page 24 where it shows uh, Madame Xanadu. And she's kind of standing amongst that with both her hands like held aloft. And I guess she has one of those jars in each hand. And it says, no. And you see uh, she's, you know, kind of entrapping these two demons in these jars, which is awesome. And then you just see uh, Joseph and he looks at Laura and says, I love you. And then <laughs> we get a middle panel there and the two of them are just like hugging. And everybody that was at the party was kind of like, oh, man, the party's over. Even uh, Dr. Frankenfurter there looks all pissed off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody starts to come to their senses now that the two uh, demons are trapped. And we, you, if you look real close the jars she's holding are topped with the horns of each of those um, demons going back to the co um, the cover of the uh, previous one, right? Where the, mm, yep. the, 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 the um, issue five, where the, she's holding the jar that had horns. Um, and then, you know, you see the, the, the two of them are embracing the crowd leaves and then the room gets dark and they're still holding each other. Um, and it's it's just a nice a nice scene there. Yeah, and then there's just like a one little one page epilogue there where they're walking down the street and Madame Xanadu's kind of on her stoop of her business and says hello and how are you guys doing and you know they basically are like oh you know we we feel great now and they kind of don't remember what all went on and she's just like you know hey you know that's good I'm glad you two are you know on the right path and good luck to you both and you know we get a final panel there which is really awesome of uh, Madame Xanadu and. She's got her cape on and looks really good. And, you know, we see the door open to her uh, shop and then under her uh, left arm and part of her cape there, she has that crazy red book. Yeah, the, she brought the book to her and he's kicked his habit. And it's it's a perfect one page epilogue. It's exactly what um, the story needed. Um, and then that look on Madame Xanadu's face staring off into the, the distance, waiting for whatever's going to come to her shop next. Um, it it's really cool. Yep, absolutely. It was like I said, like getting this first and reading it, and then going back and getting the other stuff was it was an interesting way to go about this because I just had it in my head that I thought, oh yeah, that one shot is like way better than the series because I think when I read it, I thought, wow, this is so great that you know I don't think anything could top it, and then I, you know, started getting into the series reading it. And with it being a bunch of one shots, basically, you know, like I almost thought, oh, man, it would have been, I wish it would have been like an ongoing story throughout the whole thing. But I don't know. I think it was all pretty good. You know, if I had to, you know, try to rank everything, I don't know if I could do it. It would be pretty tough to say which ones were the best or worst or whatever. But I don't I no longer think the one shot as far as, you know, story wise is far superior to the series. Now, the artwork, I, I do like the artwork in that best out of uh, all six of these issues. But uh, I, I don't I, after a second read through, I still like it a lot, but it's still it's not as uh, high in the uh, pecking order as I thought it was. 
Okay. So I've only read them for the first time this time. So I, it, this isn't a, a repeat for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite art is the Marshall Rogers art um, in, in, in this one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'd have to go back and it is kind of hard to rank the stories because I did like them. Um, I did like them all. And like you, I thought it was an ongoing story when I had first heard of the title. I didn't realize it was um, one shots, but the one shots really worked and it was neat having different artists and writers do a take um, on Madame Xanadu and how they did the story. But yet there's a cohesiveness in each one that you have somebody coming to the shop. They tell Madame Zer to do the story. Um, she influences and advises them to a <clears throat> happy ending, I guess. Um, so it, it and it works in the formula works really well. Um, maybe it would have gotten a little old. Twenty five issues in, hard to say because we didn't get those issues. But um, overall, really fun stories, really good writing. Um, it's I really enjoyed all six of them very much. Yeah, and I will say too, in uh, the middle of issue, the the one shot issue by Engelhart and Rogers, there is a fold out poster uh, in that issue, and wow, it is a uh, by Kaluta. I'll post a picture of it. It's really, really good, like crazy good. Yeah, the, the, it's a it's a fantastic picture. Um, you have the jars, you've got smoke and incense and little demons. The full Madame Xanadu uh, figure, great poster. Yeah, I do remember when I bought it too. I remember, you know, the person that was selling it. Uh, I, I maybe I might have got it in a shop, but I think at some point it had a. It, either I got it online or at a shop, but I think I got it at a shop. But I think it, it had on the, you know, like on the price tag, you know, poster intact or something like that. And I was thinking, <laughs> all right, cool, whatever, you know, not realizing how awesome it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so overall, great series. You know, the, the, the one through five, the ongoing there from uh, 1978. And this one shot, again, really good, too. It's definitely worth checking out. Like you said, uh, the series one through five is on the app, so you can read that there. The one shot is not, unfortunately. Hopefully, at some point, they'll get it on there. I know sometimes people have made comments, and I think uh, they might be on to something, that the reason sometimes the uh, certain issues are by certain creators that they're either still living or their estate that they might have to pay out some kind of royalties to them. And I do know at some point, I think it was either late seventies or very early eighties, DC was doing that. They were starting to give, you know, uh, you know, extra money out to creators, uh, you know, for down the road, if something was going to be reprinted or something like that. So I thought, Oh, maybe would they owe Engelhart some money in, you know, Rogers estate? Maybe, I don't know. I certainly don't know the business of it. Um, it's too bad this one isn't there just so uh, people could see the Marshall Rogers art. But it, I, I don't think this is too expensive to pick up on the the aftermarket these days. I mean, I, I got it for four or five bucks. Um, it's certainly gone up over the years. Um, but a nice copy isn't isn't out of reach for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking you could probably get a reader for five bucks or less. So if you're not, you know, worried about the condition, definitely grab it if you see it for an affordable price because uh, it, it's definitely worth it. And I mean, hey, and if you know, other than issue one to Doorway to Nightmare, I think you could probably find most of them at a decent price as well. A couple of them were a little harder for me to get, but 
you know, I think, you know, depending on where you live, some areas in all the country have, you know, way better shops and shops at way better prices than uh, where I'm at right now. A lot of my shops are a little more expensive than I hear other people saying, oh, I was at a shop last week and got such and such for a dollar. I'm thinking, holy crap, I haven't seen that for less than seven or eight dollars around me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like uh, sometimes yeah. I wish I lived near some of these shops where things were so cheap. But uh, all right, man. Well, that's going to wrap us up here. So uh, uh, again, thank you for joining me with this one, man. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed diving into this because uh, I had never really gone in depth with it before. And obviously I'd never talked about it before either. So this was a, this was a really good time, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me for this. Well, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it myself. Um, there were fun stories, and it was nice to talk to you about them. Yep, and if anybody's looking to find you, I think your Instagram and Twitter is the same address, right? Yep, Big Ox 737 and then my blog at comicscomics.blog. Yep, and then uh, like we said on the last recording here, you're, you're going to be able to hear a really cool super blog team up come out probably right before this. It, you know, just a few days before this is going to air uh, right around Halloween. So uh, definitely uh, do the uh, Twitter search for SBTU or uh, hashtag super blog team up to see uh, everything that's going on. A lot of good people involved with that, right? Yeah, it'll be a good time. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up. So I will uh, let you go and then jump back in here in a minute after a break to wrap things up. For years, I've haunted the antique shops of Europe, searching for antiques to breathe life into the rooms of my own home. At last, here at the Antique Guild, I've found the largest selection of antiques at frightfully reasonable prices. Arranged in beautiful room settings, antique hunting is no longer an endless search through back alleys and dusty shops. You'll find true value at the Antique Guild, prices that won't scare you. This episode, I hope you enjoyed uh, our coverage here of uh, Doorway to Nightmare, Madame Xanadu. Really cool character that kind of gets, you know, lost in the shuffle, I feel like. So definitely, uh, you know, check out these two episodes here and uh, definitely go find some of these comics out there. You know, you can find some of them on uh, the DC Infinite app. So definitely check out the series there. The one shot's not on there, but you can usually find that for a couple bucks here and there. So. Uh, like I said, definitely look for that one and uh, definitely tune in for some more coverage uh, with me and Jeremiah soon. We're going to be covering uh, Phantom Stranger. You know, he and I are going to dive into that character and uh, can't wait for that. Really looking forward to it, especially once uh, Jim Aparo takes over on our fantastic stuff. So we'll catch you later.